Welcome to Fresh Meat. Fresh Meat is Manifest podcast, and we talk about the freshest topics in branding, PR, and communications, that broad field. Um, with me, I have Alex Myers, CEO of Manifest Group. Hello. And I've got Cameron Stewart, founder of Dawson Andrews. Hello. And you guys have a history together. Um, I mean, that sounds dodgy when you say it like that. <laughs> well, be honest, I guess. be honest. I thought no one knew. <laughs> I think you go way back, what, seven, eight years? Yeah, it's back in the early days of Manifest, I think. Um, uh, we got, I, th- I can't remember what happened. I think I saw something about ARC, which is um, Cameron's previous sort of organization, or one of his previous organizations that he'd set up, which stands for Acts of Random Kindness. And I was like, these, are all, these guys are awesome. So I think I got in touch with you, asking yeah. if we could do some PR work for you. You said, can you help us? And we said, well, we want to run through London in our underwear. Can you help us get coverage for that? And I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, then it happened. We literally, do you remember? We ran into like radio studios. It's not the um, kind of thing you forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a great picture of me stuck outside. All the guys ran into the London Tube. I think you led them down there for some more, some pictures. Shots. Yeah, yeah. But I was on a live radio call mm. at the time. So I couldn't, so, so I was left. You know, it's one thing if there's like 50 people in underwear, <laughs> but I was just standing there on the phone in my underwear by myself. They just left me. Right, so take me back. What What is or what was Acts of Random Kindness? Oh yeah, sorry. People we should probably must fill just that think, one Yeah, <laughs> what was going on there. So it was a clothing brand with uh, a social uh, mission, I guess, just right. to try and encourage people to be kind to each other. It's okay. as simple as that. So the idea was that every time you wore the clothing, you performed an act of random kindness for somebody else. Oh. Um, so by its very nature, it kind of just sparked conversations between yeah. strangers because when, when they and, ended up doing these acts of kindness, they would obviously ask, what is going on? Why have you just done that? And yeah. then they'd point to their t-shirt or their underwear, which we later released. Um yeah, so that big PR stunt was donating all the clothes on our back to Oxfam, apart from our underwear. Spontaneously, um, apart from the Ark underwear. Uh, just by the, I think it's erroneously called the Eros statue in Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> oh, I see um, the link. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we donated there and then ran through pretty much all of central London. <laughs> yeah. Zone 1 got good coverage. <laughs> Went for a chance. Yeah, yeah, it was great fun. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. And then from Ark, what did you end up doing? So I then kind of went on your the typical entrepreneur. Well, there's not really any typical entrepreneur's journey, but mine uh, basically turned out as finding a tech startup in San Francisco, um, raising a lot of millions there, and then moving back home um, to kind of work in strategy. Um, I kind of find a bit of a niche for myself in brand strategy and kind of corporate strategy and thought that was quite fun. So I did that for a few years um, and I kept getting stuck at the point where they were saying, okay, you know, these insights are great. Um, what are we going to do with them? And mm. my answer was always something digital related. Mm. Um, so after a few years uh, of just kind of handing off work to loads of people, um, I'd, I just decided, hold on, I could, I could start I could actually start something here. So I was in a shared office and I was fortunate enough to work with some great designers and developers and um, analytics experts. And we kind of said here we could 
we could pitch for some work here and we ended up winning some pretty big contracts and from there Dawson Andrews was founded which is the company I've been running for the past four years wow yeah, so that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, it all starts with one, one big idea, really, that, yeah, perhaps I could do this. Yeah, you kind of just follow the next thing, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you've been doing the same thing, Alex, that, you know, ever since I last saw you, but... Yeah, I mean, we, we're just making this shit up as we go along. <laughs> I know, you always say that. That's just, but that's the same thing as, as everyone. I think, um, uh, like, we caught up for the first time in years a few weeks ago, which is when we suggested doing a podcast, but... Um, but yeah, I think what's what's refreshing is when you meet someone who, who says, I've just been chasing what I enjoy doing. Because mm. um, that's really what people call entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, yeah, people who chase down opportunity, yeah, but opportunity to do something that you love, mm. I think is yeah, totally. is really sort of the main thrust of it. Yeah. If I could get you guys to sort of do something for me in, in the sense of if you look back to the kind of meetings you were having with with brands and with sort of large firms um 10 years ago and the kind of the kind of conversations you were having the kind of insights you, you were giving them and the expectations they had of you mm. um and the kind of meetings you're having now what would you say is the same what would you say has changed what would you say um you think people are more uh educated about now um, and sort of how, how do you see the agency um, company r- relationship growing in, in the future? If I can start with you, Cameron. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of famously went through this conversion phase that my co-founder would be very proud of, where I kind of went from what he would call the fluffy advertising world, where you sold ideas and concepts and and feelings nothing wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry sorry i mean there's definitely a lot of value in those but but i'm sure you well it'd be interesting to see if you agree with this um like dawson andrews was actually kind of founded on this idea that that is it's there's a lot more measurability now um the way digital the digital evolution has gone everything can be measured so the you know the people that are um selling ideas without actually you know looking back and measuring what results they actually gave um i feel are are in the past you know like Mm -hmm. you you can't get away with that anymore so you know our, our conversations sometimes you know clients or potential clients are very surprised and saying what you guys are you're actually going to stand behind your work you know and we've we've even got performance based contracts where we don't actually get paid if if we don't deliver on what we said in terms of revenue driven or or whatever oh, wow. objective that we're yeah. actually doing for them um but then on the other hand you know the bigger guys aren't even interested in a conversation if you're not going to talk about you know the actual results mm. um i mean and it's not always money you know it, it, it's not that's not how you always measure it um but there's so many metrics now in the digital world yeah. that um and and i think it makes our job somewhat easier because you know we don't we do you can't shy you can't shy away from it if you get it wrong so you have to just embrace the failures learn from them and then just iterate as you go mm. I think that's it's really interesting because measurement um, in the earned space is something that people think is a an impossible thing. Mm. And that certainly, you hear a lot of PR agencies even saying that PR is intangible. Yeah. Um, you know, the halo effect. It's like, well, other marketing disciplines have just been better at it because they've been asked to be. Mm. Um, because 
PR agencies for too long have said the result is the print on the page. Yeah. Uh, and now that can't be the case. It's yeah. got to be a change in behavior. Yeah. And that's measurable. Yeah. That change is. in behavior is measurable. You know, even if it's a case of taking a digital sample as a to transpose as an analog reality, right? It's mm. it's the same thing. If sentiment's changed on social media, it's changing in conversation. So yeah. you can mon- measure and monitor that. So I think it's fascinating. But there is also this other area where certainly coming in from SEO and and certain areas of content where measurement has almost been the um, the tail that wags the dog to some extent. And it's like, well, actually, we know we can move the needle 5 10% by doing these things that we do for everyone. Yeah. Then actually that does limit creativity because it's like, well, I know this is going to work, so I'm not going to try something new. Yeah. And that that is a big, I think, shadow that falls off um, uh, measurement that people forget about. So yeah. I think as long as you're measuring the impact of ideas that mm. you know you're still able to come up with in a free and creative process, and mm. um, that is absolutely based on insight and based on um, understanding and strategy. But I think yeah, the, the challenge is there are other disciplines that measure to a fault. I right. think, mm. and it and it can it can silo off creativity sometimes. And I think um, yeah, we try and find the right blend. Yeah, um, but. It's also a challenge. People think it's hard, so that's why they don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it, it sounds as though, and I know we've been talking about the, the, the term digital transformation, um, especially how brands today are dealing, dealing with that. Um, but from what you were saying, Alex, it sounds like the public relations industry, and I know it's broadened that, but the, 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 the PR industry still has not come to terms with with that digital transformation we're still a few years off ave and you know <laughs> yeah. and a very old school analog way of of doing things um and i guess my question is do you are the are the agencies that are, that are going to rise in the future going to be the ones that embrace digital transformation and the ones that are going to i guess fall or lag back the ones that don't understand how to transform you know, the art of storytelling into something measurable? I don't know. I think there's, um, and Cameron, it'd be interesting to find out your views on this, actually, because I think that digital is very channel-specific to some extent. It's like a certain kind of media, but it undervalues talking about what digital media can do, because I think the transformation that's happening for me with media in general is Mm. that all media are social media. Mm. And I think... um, there was a big question mark when I started Manifest about do we need social media campaigns? And I'm sure at some point someone asked, does everyone really need a phone? Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think when I first started um, work, not everyone had an email address. You know, like it's that kind of, wow. um, I mean, I'm really old now, right? <laughs> um, but, that's, uh, but that kind of transformation is something that people just, they resist that that's going to be the case. But what I find fascinating now with, digital is that there is no divide between online and offline right and no one even uses those phrases really anymore yeah. and um every analog moment tends to be sparked by a digital communication yeah you know if you want everyone to show up to a party there's a digital piece of software you're able to use to get to make that happen mm. at the event it's much more social you can take that to a wider audience like i think the, the the beauty of it is that your brand is this experience and mm. digital is really something that's focused on experiences very, very well. Yeah. Um, and there's this strange um, sort of, uh, 
I guess, connection that's happening between brand, between campaigning and mm. communications, mm. and then experiences. Mm. And digital is what ties all those things together. Mm. Um, you know, even an analogue shopping experience is enhanced through digital applications. Yeah. Um, there's an amazing agency called Huge in the US that really shows how you can connect digital experience and real life experience very mm. well. And they're known as a digital agency, but I mean... They, they make experiences that mm. work in the real life in real life so um that's what's fascinating for me is this this division that's merged um you know the the gap was truly obvious between online and offline um as short as five years ago now it's just not there and actually between different kind of display media too so the difference between the internet and broadcast tv was stark yeah. five years ago yeah. now you know your youtube content is your tv ad in a very basic sense, but also your TV is a is a computer, mm. yeah. You know, and that's that's something that I think we're still dealing with as communicators. Mm. We don't know where that's headed, yeah. And there's going to be agencies that embrace that and build themselves around that, yeah. And there's going to be agencies that die out. I don't think there's anything in between. Mm. I mean, it feels to a certain extent that you have embraced digital. You know, I don't know if you are in the dark ages as much as. Um, you're implying, Julian, but because like we're just we're so used to these technologies now in our day to day lives that it's just kind of become part and parcel of it. Mm. Um, you know, I don't even I don't know if you guys are even the ones that are responsible for inventing those solutions. You're not you're not a digital agency. You know, your communications. So, you know, to a certain extent, I wouldn't worry about it because the products are going to land at your door and they might cost you. A grand a month in a licensing fee, but they'll be they'll allow you to do things that you haven't been able to beforehand. I think that is something interesting that we've done is invent our own proprietary tech. Mm. Oh yeah, so, like what? I mean, really basic stuff compared to what you guys would build, but um, more just digitizing an experience. So we've got the digital newsroom, which is a way to distribute content in a way that can be optimized, but also. Um, you can share a whole host of content in a fashion that journalists find a better experience than clogging up their inbox. Okay, but nice. Also, it merges that that um, world of journalists and real people who are passionate about your brand, so they can use that as a. I I get the the information from the digital newsroom because I'm a fan of whatever brand it might be. Yeah, it's like raw the raw news unfiltered. Yeah, totally. We've built a um a, a influencer platform called Roger. Okay. Um, but again, we've used a lot of different services and just spliced them all together with various APIs. Yep. And we've built our own client service app. And we, we used a, yeah. a developer to build it. Yeah. But I think that's what's interesting is we've gone, this is what we'd like to do. Mm. And where possible, we build it in-house. But we don't need yeah. to be and don't want to be a developer. Yep. But actually, what, we've, <laughs> what we're discovering is the proprietary tech we've built, we've used the value of to attract. So we have a network of other agencies around the world called the Cartel. And they're able to use our technology. So they want to be a cartel partner okay, rather nice. than it being just a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type relationship. Yeah. And um, we can find the best agency and they want to be a part of it so they can resell technology we've developed, which is weird. That's awesome. Um, but Are actually, you licensing that or is that just <laughs> not at all part of being friends with Yeah, it's Manifest. part of being friends with Manifest. But I think what we're going to do is look at licensing it because part of our mission is to help the industry improve so if we build these proprietary technologies and then just keep them yeah that's not really living that purpose out so that's something we're we're interested in doing we've got a sort of cto in residence who's currently external and we're trying to make him internal so that we can we can go and build these things but it's sort of it's odd that's the fun bit of running a business 
um, yeah. is going, okay, well, how do you be creative around yeah. uh, building an agency? And I always say that that's the fascinating bit I never knew I was going to be excited about when I started the company. I knew I'd mm. be excited about the work, mm. but I didn't know that I could be the work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're basically, you're just inventing these different elements that were analog yeah. and now... I guess that's the beauty of it. You know, you don't need to be a digital agency to, I mean, if you want to invent or build a massive platform, I, I mean, even that, you can hire the right team, you know, mm. like the amount of projects that we actually, you know, our clients are straight up with us at the start and they're like, look, we don't want to use the, you guys, we want our own team. So mm. we kind of kick off the project and, and basically train their team en route to yeah. letting go. And, and all of a sudden, they've, you know, a developer, a designer uh, and a product manager and you're flying. You yeah. know, you, mm. you can just be churning out things every week. It's amazing. That's uh, incredible. There's, there's something you said, Alex, that, that I want to come back on. Um, you said some industries measure to a fault. Mm. Um, and if we look at the communication industry, um, as we, we were talking, I kept on thinking about storytelling and the softness of storytelling, the idea that we are essentially doing something that, uh, as humans, we've been doing for a long time, essentially the, the beginning of humanity. Beginning of language. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a there's a beauty and, and a poetry in, in doing that. I think that's the part of, of, of the job that I really love. Um, but I wonder, is, is that, is that um, a contradiction to have something measurable? Uh, and, and to go back to the etymology of, you know, digitization, it's something you can count, you know, and something that is, that speaks to the heart. You know, how, how, how do we keep um, being storytellers in a world where everything needs to be counted? You know, I, that's awesome. I can, I add, can I add to that question? Because yeah. I've got something as well on it. Yeah. Long form content, which is kind of what we're talking about there. Yeah. Is Are we moving back towards that? I really want to hear what mm. you guys are thinking. Because mm. like our attention spans are just dwindling. You know, like we're just, the dopamine yeah. is, is, we've got too much dopamine now. And we're just, I was on the bus today watching this girl on her phone and she's just flicking between Facebook, refreshing her Facebook, onto Instagram, refreshing the Instagram, yeah. WhatsApp, you know, just for 30 minutes, non-stop, just yeah. constantly going. And I just wonder, is there, is the, when we get fed up with that mm. and we hit a precipice, do we, are we going to bounce back to stories? Is boredom extinct as well? <laughs> like you never used to have like everything in the palm of your hand. Yeah. You? I think it's really, I think it's fascinating where you've approached the question as well because I mean when I said measuring to a fault I think a good example of that is if you only measure one finite result rather than actually the whole thing you can do something that causes more sales you know you can do something that causes 10% increase in sales but really fuck off 95% of the people that <laughs> see it yeah. and you see that happen all the time yeah. right mm. I mean measurement killed advertising right, right. I mean Jesus Christ, moneysupermarket.com. Yeah. I mean, we buy any car. Yeah. No. I mean, what a fucking shit show. <laughs> and, and people talk about that being branding now. And yeah. you're like, no, not at all. But actually, if you, it's not measurement that's the, that's the criminal there. It's the person doing the measurement. Right. And then building a story around that. Yeah. Right. And I think what's, I, I've been, like, I'm always nerding off anyway, but I was reading Sapiens, which I think I mentioned to you when we caught up, Cameron. Um, and the, there's, there's an element in that where it talks about how we're hardwired 
to understand stories. And actually, um, the hypothesis in in um, the book is that the reason we're the dominant species on the planet is the capacity to tell stories. Right. Um, because that's how you create culture. Yeah. And no other animals have culture the same way that we do. There are very intelligent animals like elephants and stuff that have something similar, but they don't have stories mm. to connect it together. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea of good and bad is a story we tell ourselves. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of a country that you're in. Yeah. The fact sitting here now <laughs> and saying that this podcast doesn't exist <laughs> in a country that doesn't exist yeah. with opinions that don't exist, yeah. Yeah. names that don't exist. Yeah. We've just given them to ourselves. That's yeah. the first chapter in your story. Yeah. Is someone's given you a name you don't have yeah. that everyone's going to use for the rest of your yeah. life. Yeah. But you're just an animal on the planet, yeah. just like everyone else, but a name changes it. Yeah, it's just an, an arbitrary agreement we all have with each other. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> These are the terms. <laughs> totally. So, but, and that's really fascinating that it's hardwired into your brain. But actually, some, that made me think about the digital revolution, actually, because mm. everyone's buying an experience, people say. So I use this phrase all the time. So Mark Andreessen, eight years ago, I think, said software is eating the world. Um, and by that, he meant that every business is valued by its software now. And he's right, but he was looking at it from a very technology standpoint. What that means is everyone's valued by the experience they deliver to their customer. And your brand, therefore, no longer tells people about the experience. It is the experience. You know, an experience is a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm, yeah. But the thing that people forget about is, yeah, getting from A to B is an experience, but why are you traveling Yeah, is the moral, right? The fourth dimension of a story and that moral is what we write and that means that communications used to be i guess about putting the icing on the cake mm. now it's the cake right right and it, it used to be that we were the ones who were um helping people understand which product out of four identical products they should buy due to a story we told them now the products that they're buying are stories right right we're we're the new industrial revolution yeah, yeah and that's what digital allows us to do mm. but also the evolution of brands. Mm. People don't buy Nike shoes and like it because of the Nike brand. They look at the Nike brand and they like it and they buy Nike shoes. Like that's very different process. Right. And in fact, that's what branding's always tried to do. But yeah. brands like Apple are a good example because, yeah, absolutely everyone knows that you're buying an Apple product. Right? And Apple has a purpose that they market mm. consistently, but it doesn't matter what product they deliver. They're delivering the Apple brand people through that product. Mm. But that didn't work in the 80s. You know, that was like, well, how, what, how much am I getting for how little I pay? Yeah. Was the 80s mindset, right? Um, and that's why, you know, brands like Dell flourished in the original computer revolution and Microsoft also. But there's been a, na a, and a shift that I think has been supported by social media, supported by a richer community, but also the change from price to value. And... That is that is something that's a tectonic shift for communications because we add value. Mm. You know, there's, people buy, actually buy things because they cost more. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. and there's a, there's a whole different process around it. So yeah, now, now if you consider that actually the purpose is what people are buying. So Simon Sinek's horrible cliche now, but people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Yeah. Like that was when we first started manifest. I was like, yes, this is exactly it. And now people don't just understand it, which we were trying to make people click. Mm nine years ago now it's um people come here demanding it yeah um and that that's a fascinating change but how you it's almost like the commodification of purpose mm, mm. and that means that we are the like i said the builders now 
and that's exciting but it's a new it's a responsibility we're not used to yeah and that's why measurement comes in it's like well I just want to slice off this little piece of responsibility I don't want to be responsible for the whole thing yeah <laughs> I can measure this bit here yeah um, and I think that's um, that's a challenge for us because we still need to understand the responsibility that comes from building industries from educating the audiences yeah um, and it's up to us I think to build brands that change the world positively for the audiences mm. because if we don't um, then you know it, it's a dangerous situation that you see in politics. Um, you know, it's the bad guys telling the good stories mm, mm, in that mm. sense. Yeah, but um, it seems to be there is a, I guess, a loss of power when we're moving from the <clears throat> the, the, the old school. You know, a brand defines w- w- what it is and then communicates that with consumers and now what what you, you you're saying is essentially there's almost this synergy between brand and consumer the consumer is the brand the brand is the consumer in a way it, it, they're, they're all interacting with each other almost you know live you know totally. and the there's so much expectation now from for, for, from brands we we demand them to you know respond to us quite quickly we demand to know what their stands are on social issues um things that in the 60s you know why would they have to do that you know but so i wonder where where that's taken us um and if you know that um, responsibility is necessarily understood well enough I think if you look back at the stories question you asked before, if we're, stories build culture mm. and your brand isn't a company anymore, it's a community. It's a community. And yeah. that's massively different because I think a few years ago, even people were saying you're, with the advent of social media, your audiences now control your brand. Yeah. And they're not, that's not the case anymore. They are your brand. Yeah. So, you know, they migrate from brand to brand. Yeah. You know, dependent on your purpose and issues. Mm. Um, and that, that is something we need to all learn to deal with. But what's fascinating also is that in public relations and in marketing, people say consumer, and in digital, people say user. Mm. Um, and there's only two kinds of people that say user about their customers, that's drug dealers and developers. <laughs> and, and, and consumers are even worse. It's like, who wants to actually push a message that says, consume this? Yeah, yeah. You know, so that Houdini, which is a brand we work with in Sweden, who are absolutely incredible from a sustainability standpoint and from a philosophical standpoint, they don't call their customers customers or consumers, they call them activists. Oh, wow. And I think that that is a really yeah. nice way to think about it, mm. is that every, every time someone wears a Houdini item, mm. they're an activist for a cause. Mm. I mean, I think that's fascinating. And that's actually what, going back to the start, that's what Acts of Random Kindness was. Maybe you just before your time. Yeah, it was. I was a prophet. <laughs> it seems it sounds similar to Patagonia as well. You mm. know, they're they're pretty similar. Yeah. Um, it's a very similar kind of business. So then, where's the space for brands that aren't authentic? Because there's plenty of those, you know, and and because like there's, I feel like there's almost this demand on transparency now. Where yeah. you know, if your if your brand is your people, or your users, or your activists, then. You, you have to be tapping into real beliefs of those mm. people and mm. you actually have to be solving real problems. Yeah. You know, like we, in the digital world, we talk about, a lot about user stories, you know, like what what situation are they in that we need to help them? Yeah. You know, so Uber does that very well. You know, they're out. They need to get from A to B as fast as possible and as easy as possible. And the old way was broken and through digital technology, they created a new way. Um but I just I wonder where 
I wonder what happens when brands try to play that fake game that they maybe have been for quite a while. And, you know, as you say, like they're just being called to accountability. And mm. there's, you know, when there's nothing to answer for, do they just lose their users until yeah. someone else steps up? I think what's really interesting is Uber as an example there, because... Um, I mean, I could talk about Uber all day. Um, <laughs> I know that, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, Julian. Um, but Uber's fascinating because it's what we talked about before. It's a digital experience. It's not a product. It's yep. not taxis. It's not people. And that has caused an issue. It's dehumanized them. But um, I'm nicking some codification from Jeremy Waite, who I think nicked it from someone else. Um, in the sense, he says there's three kinds of brands, right? There's surviving brands, there's successful brands who are like Uber, where they found a gap in the market. Yeah. And they judge their success by commercial transactions. And then there are significant brands. And they're the ones that judge their success by um, the positive impact they have on their audiences, from which obviously audiences then trust and yeah. become loyal. And the money comes after that, right? So um, there's a, a contract that you make as a significant brand that I'm here to represent you yeah. in a certain way or to augment your life in a certain way. And I will do everything I can to do that. And that's a very much an Apple model. Yeah. So Apple exists to improve your life and enhance your life with technology you already know how to use. Yeah. It doesn't need to invent anything. And it will make it so beautiful that you really want to use it. Hmm. You know, and that's part, all of those things are backed up. But Uber is like, well, the experience, right? That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, until you don't know what not Uber looks like. You know, like yeah. that, that success is, is short-lived because, yeah. you know, my kids will grow up not knowing you can't hail a cab. With your phone, I mean, yeah. they might even know what, not know what a phone is. You never know, <laughs> but like, it's very short termist. Yeah. And I always said, as Julian will testify, I said years ago that Uber will eat itself because it's so lacking in um, in morals. Wow, you yeah. know, mm. and um, and then Richard Thaler, who just won the Nobel Prize for Economics, the behavioral economist, he said um, in his book Misbehaving, he talks about how he doesn't understand how Uber can have long-term success because you need trust yeah. for long-term success and advocacy. Mm. And to make something more expensive, the more someone needs it, has a human distrust to it. Yeah. Oh, you wow. cannot trust or be an advocate of someone who makes it harder for you to have it yeah. when, when you need it more. Yeah, oh, wow. So actually, when you consider that basically their success is very much built around a proposition... Then yeah, you're absolutely right. If someone arrives with that proposition and morals, then it's it's not really a question you need to answer. Yeah. But you do need to have the same level of convenience and the same coverage, which is where Uber is miles and miles ahead from everyone else. Mm. But that's why they're desperately trying to astroturf and post rationalise everything that they've done. Really, um, because they know they're fucked. Right. Yeah. I mean, all they've got's a piece of technology, really. Yeah. Anyone. I mean, there's plenty of competitors around, and, and they've not jumped on it. Like Lyft could make it cheaper the yeah. more difficult it is. Yeah. Right. So if there's a bigger audience, that's how markets usually work. If there's a bigger audience and more demand, then you can provide more product, which goes down due to yeah. economy of scale, right, in price. Yeah. But Uber's whole pricing model depends yeah. on the idea that yeah. that of scarcity, well, the scarcity yeah. that they've built as a story. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So actually, why not just say, well, you know, we're going to eliminate surge pricing because if you do. I guarantee you everyone will migrate from Uber because there's no loyalty there. Yeah. yeah. Now, if Uber were like Brewdog who have a 20% profit share with yeah. good causes, you might feel bad about that. Yeah. 
you know, or you might feel like that's mm, mm. that's something you can't do because, well, I, I know I'm spending more on this, but it makes me feel good. Yeah. Mm. Like Houdini charges four times more than, you know, terrible polyester stuff. Yeah. Right. But it, there's a reason you're buying into it. Yeah. And that value is going up all the time from a consumer standpoint or from a public standpoint, but Uber hasn't been quick enough to react and it shouldn't have had to react. So do you think the future belongs to the purpose-driven brands? You know, is that... Because there's definitely a, there's like a, a global awakening that's happening mm. in terms of just people's understanding of self and ego, yeah. and like there's some really exciting, like the whole Jordan Peterson movement, who's tap, tapping into audiences that just were so stagnant before, you mm. know. But he's just hit, and he's he isn't even preaching. He's not on on any kind of pedestal. He's just speaking truth, really. Um, and I think, you know, when ARC started, you know, that's, what, 10 years ago, it was it was at the height of the, Celt- or the Celtic Tiger. Basically, the crash had happened. So it was a perfect time and people needed a good news story. And that's mm. why it did so well, ultimately. I mean, the clothing wasn't that great. It was, you know, we were just, we were winging it, but we were there for such a time. And I remember at the time thinking... You know, we are very much the minority here. Mm. Yeah. But it fe- and it felt like we were the start of something. But I, I don't think I was ever optimistic that that would actually become the majority. But now, when I'm looking at these brands like Patagonia and, um, like the, just the guys that actually really stand for for something important, I, I, and their success. You know, their unwavering loyalty that they have from mm. their fans. Mm. I wonder, is that actually, or? or is everyone going to have to get in line with that? You mm. know, is authenticity going to become a really important part of of every brand, or are we just always going to live in a world where <laughs> no, there's, it's, yeah, there's the Ubers? it's interesting. It's something I think about a lot. And when you mentioned AstroTurfing, I do wonder how many other companies, large companies, are also AstroTurfing, but manage to tell a better story um, and manage to um, sort of have brand advocates who believe their stories. Um, so the guys like, uh, I guess in, in the case of, of Uber, because of so much bad press and so much bad faith um, company culture, mm. I think they were unable to really, or they, they have been unable for, for a long time to sort of write the story that has been told, told about them. But if, if you look at a case like, like Nike, I remember when I saw the uh, Colin Kaepernick ad, um, and it, it, it moved me, you know, but I also was thinking to myself, well, but Nike still, you know, uses cheap labor in, in Asia, yeah. you know, but the story people wanted to believe at that time was, you know, Nike is taking a stand for something. And that's true. That's, that's a fact, you know, and if you look at the fact that, you know, someone like Trump was, you know, in a, standing in, in opposition to Kaepernick, people felt that this was a very strong story to be told. But then Phil Knight also donates to Republicans. So what are we, like, what world are we dealing with here? You know, it's, it's a, it becomes an ecosystem of stories rather than an ecosystem of facts. But that's always the case. Yes. There's no such, I don't want to sound like Trump, but there's yeah. no such thing as a fact, right? Yeah, yeah that's it's true. just a story. Like yeah. we, We've gone back around to the start on, the, on yeah. that discussion because I think one of the things that is interesting there is this um, impossible yearning for simplicity. 
Yes. Right? It's yes. like, I really want just one sentence yeah. that means I know what Nike is doing or not. Yeah. And actually, you might think it's contradictory for Nike to use, you know, factories in Bangladesh, yet support, um, you know, footballers kneeling for the anthem. There's no conflict there. You know, you're allowed, every human being likes some things and does, you know, every human being has good points and bad points. Mm. And as brands, to some extent, have to develop their own value systems, mm. Mm. they're being held up as a human being. And I think yeah. what people are asking is, does the good outweigh the bad? Mm. Um, but Nike is interesting in the sense that they have absolutely decided to start doing that. Mm. So Nike's just do it thing was a lifestyle, right? And that was, that was the start of branding where it was like, okay, we can subscribe to that lifestyle. Yeah. But it was still very aspirational, not inspirational, which brands are now. Um, and actually, No Logo by Naomi Klein is a really old book now, but like she starts off talking about the sort of false smoke and mirrors in front of yeah. you know, Nike customers' faces. Yeah. Um, and that's a really impactful book. And I don't know how Naomi Klein thinks about um, Donald Trump, but... Um, a lot of what she talks about, you know, disguising bad as good is what he does. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think Nike is trying to disguise something. Mm. Um, but that's possibly a story I tell myself because I quite like Nike. Mm, mm. Mm. And I can't actually tell you why. And the truth is that's because I'm a human being and I yeah. believed a story. Yeah. And there's too many stories flying around yeah. for you to know whether you believe it or not, whether yeah. it's intrinsic or not learned or... Yeah. And and I think that's what's fascinating about what we do. And you, you, if you're working at Nike or if you're working at any brand, you just have a responsibility, I think, to do as much good as you can. And actually, that includes you know every single step of the way. Um, and going back to the Houdini example, unlike Nike, I mean, they had a planetary boundaries assessment about they know what's put on the grass that the sheep eat that they produce the wool from. Yeah. Wow. And they control that. Now that's fascinating. Mm. That's a le and f they're frustrated that they don't know exactly whereabouts these sheep graze, and you know they don't get the level of detail that because suppliers have never been asked. Mm. Um, mm. And that that's fascinating. But I think that is a that is a change. To, uh, going back to your point around, do you think purpose is going to? I think naturally it is, but I think almost it's going back full circle. So people used to shop at the corner shop yeah. because you knew he wasn't just selling you stuff; he looked out for you. Mm. You know, he was. You know, there was an eco economic um, issue then in terms of it would have been cheaper to buy elsewhere, but he would give you credit. Mm. You know, because he knew who you were, knew your dad. Mm. Yeah. You know, mm. and there was much more of a community sensitivity to it. And I think as the, as the global village has grown, so to speak, people have lost that sense of community, and that's what they're yearning to get back from brands. And that corner shop is what Tesco are trying to be now. Yeah. You know, because they're being they're being rejected because they took people for granted. They didn't try and engender engagement or advocacy. They didn't try and be good. They just tried to be successful. And that's what's interesting now is that success is short term and people are like, fuck, I need to do something about that yeah. and be significant. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, we're going in circles, but it, <laughs> it is fascinating that that's what I mean about the story being something that you produce. But it has to be believable. That's where authenticity and credibility comes in. Yeah. If it's not believable... It's not going to work. And if you're not transparent, you're not believable. <laughs> so that's why brands are yearning to be transparent all of a sudden. But they have to get their shit in order first. Yeah. But interestingly, that leads us back to the first podcast we ever did on apologies. Yeah. 
and the idea that you can apologize like a human or you can apologize like a brand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and until the two become much closer together, yeah. Um, you know, lots of brands are like, oh, we can't apologize, it's a sign of weakness. And I guess some individuals say that. Yeah. But um, you're more likely to apologize to someone the more you've known them, I learned this week. Um, because right. it, you're investing in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. If you're only going to know them for a second, why apologize? Yeah, that's right. So actually that's something that's fascinating when you look at, I bet we could look at the um, frequency of apologies from brands increasing mm. as they aim for mm. advocacy. Yeah, possibly. That'd be an interesting metric. Just yeah, to yeah. Measure. Yeah. It's interesting what, what you said about brands needing, uh, needing to get their shit together. That really reminds me of or the fact that as as people in the communications industry, we need to be in the boardrooms we need to be decision makers in in in, in terms of of changing the the ways brands act and actually ensuring that there is authenticity and and, and we're not just you know, it's not a smoke and mirrors issue. Yeah. You know, it's it's about being being in those meetings and saying, all right, you need to change your labor practices because yes, you can tell a story about how you're building schools for for, for, for kids, but you're also you know exploiting other people. Yeah. You know, and until you change that whole that whole framework, you know, we we, we are going to be telling partial truths. Um, and I think that's the authenticity yeah. thing, isn't it? Like if you're not. People just see through it, or you run out of stories to tell. You know, go mm. open a school in Africa once yeah. a year. It's not going to cut it anymore. Yeah. You know, no, like people just see right through that. Mm. Now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, the impossible yearning for stories. I think that for for simplicity, mm. impossible yearning for simplicity. I think that's so true, and not just in in, in branding and, and in marketing, but you know, in life. You know, if it's too complex, we just want to whittle it down. Like, no, 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 don't, don't tell me everything. Totally. <laughs> I know? mean, it's Stop funny. Um, Maya Zupan, who's our um, our head of strategy, um, she gets really frustrated when people say, "I just need to put this into one sentence," and she knows right. she gets frustrated because that's really hard to do. Yeah, but you can see on her face that the one sentence she wants to give you is. You can't say this in a sentence. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's true to some extent. It's a complex world, yeah. right? Now, you can absolutely give a story in a sentence, but it mm. can't tell you the whole picture. Mm. Um, and people do need that level of simplicity through messaging, and we should strive for it within marketing and branding. But um, we should also strive for you to understand what you're doing before you've even heard a word. Yeah, And that's actually, when you talk about digital transformation, that's a visual component it's a feeling yeah you know it um beauty mm. you know becomes almost all of a sudden so much more valuable because that's simple yeah. so if you apparently if you show a landscape painting to everyone in the world they will all tell you it's beautiful even if it's a landscape completely alien to them mm. like a picture of the Cotswolds in Africa for example mm. and um and they would but but that's because it's innate yeah. beauty is innate you've decided yeah. And, it, and it's something you feel in genuinely in your gut. It's, mm. it's biological and it's because some kind of evolutionary thing, there's water, there's probably green hills, there's probably shelter. Right? That's why we find those things beautiful. Yeah. And uh, that brings us back to the very start. We talked about we're just animals telling ourselves stories. <laughs> you know? But that's yeah. the point. We have to, the simplicity has to be driven as a feeling. Mm. And you can absolutely be simple, yes or no, with the heart. But a rational yes or no is really tough. And as soon as you start to rationalize emotions, that's where, where, as I said, you're blushingly groping for simplicity you're not going to find. 
Mm. Um, but emotions are simple. It's like that. This makes me feel good, so I will do it. Mm. Is what most what I think people do now. And is that quest for um, for measurement? Is that also a you know? Uh, is is that also trying to yearn for that you know impossible quest for simplicity? You know the fact that. We're telling complex stories as, as human beings, personally and as, as as brands. But when it comes down to trying to figure out, all right, how did we move people emotionally? You know, what do people think? What do people think about our, our brand? Is that also? Are we trying to oversimplify something so complex? Because it's hearts and minds we're, we're talking about. I mean, we've met, we've talked about poetry. We've talked about love. We've talked about beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, and. These these things can't be measured, you know. So it it almost seems as though we are, as you say, disagreeing as, with ourselves. <laughs> no, <it's> like, <laughs> we're taking a, a, a slice of of of, um, of something, but we're not necessarily getting the, the whole picture. I'm not really sure where I'm going here, but mm. I know there, saying, there, there's yeah. still this, you know. It's where the world, like the world's leading us towards measurability. Yeah. And this, I mean. All things digital are binary, you know, yeah. it's one or the other. That That's the nature of digital yeah. and it's the power of it as mm. well. Mm. But at the same time, there's just the, there's a mystery that, that can't be lost yeah. in, in our humanity and our stories and where it's we come from and all these questions that we just can't answer. And yeah. as you say, feelings, I mean... There are undoubtedly people in the world right now trying to measure feelings, and I'm mm. sure they're doing a great job. But there's no way that. Yeah. Well, I'd love to be challenged on it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way that could be done in its totality. It's just mm. no, that, or certainly not rationalized. Yeah, it's like yeah. even if you could understand how everyone reacts differently to something, to say one painting, for example, you wouldn't be able to tell them why that person reacted that way and that person reacted that way. Yeah, even after a lifetime of therapy, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. So. Um, that's what's beautifully complicated, complicated about human beings. Mm. And that's actually why I think if we, maybe that's, that's it, we need to turn brands into more human entities mm. in the sense that they just, they have a relationship, um, they have a psychology that changes. Yeah. You know, and that's fine because yeah. that's what human, that's beings, what human do. beings do. And I think yeah. sometimes actually brands fall down by feeling they're held to a standard human beings can't be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they are, yeah. you know, especially in the trash fire that is Twitter sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's um that's an interesting way to think about branding and mm. I always say like big data is you know, uh, uh, sorry gut instinct is big data for the little guy. Um in the sense that you're probably processing a million things <laughs> but you don't know you are. Yeah. Like, like your gut tells you I'm just going to do that. <laughs> but like yeah. I mean big data effectively is rationalizing something you could always do as a human being anyway. Yeah. I don't know any time any data has told me something where I've gone mm, didn't know that. So I yeah. don't know if I'm just ratifying my own viewpoint anyway. Mm. But data is dead important. Yeah. Uh, th- this has been absolutely, absolutely fascinating. I, I think we could go on for three, four, five hours. Yeah, talk, this could be a know. long night if we don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I think w- w- what I find f- quite interesting is we started off talking about digital transformation and we talked about, you know, digits and binaries and numbers. And we ke- just kept on coming back to humanity and coming back to stories. Mm. You know, and I, I like what you said at the end there about we need to, well, I guess brands need to be humanized yeah. in a way you know and that that would mean that we're, we're allowed to change our minds brands are allowed to change their minds brands can ask for forgiveness and be forgiven um and brands are allowed to be fallible um 
So I guess in conclusion, we just need to keep telling stories, keep being kind and keep spreading love, you know. And if we can measure that, great. If we can't, you know. Just keep doing it. Still around. Build brands that change the world, Jules. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, And thank you to Spiritland as well, because we've recorded here for six episodes. um, And yeah, we're just going to keep doing more. This place is awesome. It's It's got the world's greatest speakers. (laughs) It's really cool. Pretty cool. Um, Yeah, until, you know, until the next Fresh Meat, you know, keep the love. Peace. Ciao, Bella.